Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Good Old Murder. I'm your host, Theo Black, and today we have something special for you today. Something very special, near and dear to us. Um, it's the pilot episode of our podcast. We went back and forth about should we release this episode, shouldn't we release this episode, and we decided to release the episode. Now, we recorded this episode a while back before we could get our setup that we have today, so the audio quality may be a little different, but the story is still there. Now, as always, you can always follow along with us. Join the team. Jump in on our socials. It's at Good Old Murder on Twitter and Instagram, and at good old podcast on facebook as always we'd like to thank you for tuning in and coming to check us out but without further ado enjoy the story On this episode of Good Old Murder, we explore the United States' first female serial killer. Mm. Or was she? Hello, and welcome to Good Old Murder. I'm your host, Theo Black, here with my co-host. Kimberly Black. And today we have somewhat of a mystery. There's a lot of folklore going around about this case that's pretty interesting, and there's a little conspiracy through it, too. Here on Good Old Murder... We like to dig into the past, feeding on our history and the fascination of murder and crime. Most of these cases are covered on this podcast are from the 19th century or the early 20th century, when people didn't have the modern conveniences of the day. So if that's something that interests you, go ahead and stay here and listen to the show. And if not, uh, stay and listen to the show anyway. Appreciate it. (laughs) All right. Let's get into this. Our story begins in the 1800s in Charleston, South Carolina. The country was young then and and filled with a lot of people that wanted to make an honest day's pay. And then there were pirates by the sea and highwaymen by the land that just wanted to take everybody's hard-earned money. So, Charleston being a major port in the United States... They had a lot of people. Then invited a lot of highwaymen and a lot of pirates. That people just wanted to take people's stuff, and and there weren't many laws in trading at this time. So people would trade anything that they thought people would want: livestock, crops, whatever they had on hand that they could take to the city and try to sell it to get some money for their family and to help raise their family and take care of their property. That's what they did. Now, traveling to and from the city was not safe. You had to travel with your wagon. You know, you filled your wagon up, took it to the city. And, you know, along the way, it wasn't safe because you, a lot of times, got robbed. People took everything in your stagecoach that you thought you was going to sell that day. Oh, my God. And, you know, that was it. You got robbed. You went home. You know, you probably had a black eye or something. You didn't make it. (laughs) And, And, you know... Some people got to the city, but they they weren't able to get out of the city because on their way home from the city, 
all of that money that they got that day, all of that money that they worked hard for, all of their livestock, all of their harvest that they sold, people robbed them and took all their money then on their way home. So this was a common problem in Charleston is what I'm basically trying to say. You're taking a big chance. Yeah, you're taking a big chance just trying to, you know, just Just make make, make a living, you know. And um, this was an ongoing thing. Then we have a gentleman by the name of Stephen Lacroix, or Lacroix, or however you say his name. I'm, I'm thinking it's Lacroix, who claimed to have had a cow stolen out of his pasture. And, and the pattern of crime had escalated from highway robbery to now they were robbing people in the countryside. And, and that didn't sit well with people that lived in Charleston. Of course. Mm-hmm. Now. About six miles outside of Charleston, there was an inn. It had a very complicated name. So, you know, stick with me when I say this. It was called the Six Mile Wayfair House. Six miles outside of Charleston. Okay. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> That's what they named it? Yeah, that was the name because of it. Because it was six miles away from Charleston. Because it was six miles away. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. From now on, we'll just call it the Six Mile House. Okay. Okay. This inn was owned by a married couple. Named John Fisher, who was 29, and Lavinia Fisher, who was 27. The inn was popular among travelers on their way to Charleston, and it became very suspicious that many travelers would check in, but not as many travelers would check out of that inn. You know, and, and that sounds like every single horror movie that you've ever done, like Bates Motel and all of that. It, that's, that's exactly what this is. I think they got it from this. There was another movie like that uh, where all those strangers met up at the hotel, well, ended up at the same hotel, and then I think only two people left or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That, I think they got it from this story. There's probably like six movies out like that. Though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, they all got it from this. And uh, Lavinia was a beautiful young woman and would often put male travelers at ease with her looks and Southern charm. Mm. She would often invite guests over for a home-cooked meal and... Travelers and ask travelers many questions. Men, being men, having a beautiful woman talk to them, they felt at ease and felt like, hey, we can just talk all day of long. Course. You know, they Why did not? put all their information out there. You never know where this is gonna go. <laughs> While she was talking. And they you know, they often told about their travels, what they were doing, why they were there, and all the while her husband just sat in the room listening. Listening to the whole conversation. That's weird. Right? And and if they sounded like, hmm, they might have a little bit of money on them, <laughs> her husband would give her the nod, and she'd go in the room and make some tea for everybody. Now, this wasn't just any old tea. A lot of times what they put in this tea, they couldn't really figure out exactly what it was, but it was something that would make people fall asleep quickly or poison that mm. she would put into the tea. And after after a good meal... You know, your, your belly's full, had you some tea. A lot of times, right after they ate, they would go upstairs and go to sleep. I forget what that's called. <laughs> What's that? I, I, I There was a show I watched called The Center, mm-hmm. and a little boy made tea for the people who, I guess, had were, they, he thought they were planning on killing him, which I think they were. But he made them some tea. He went out in the woods behind the hotel they were at, and he knew the leaves were this particular type of tea or leaf, mm-hmm. and made tea out of it, and they were poisoned in like 10 minutes. Wow. That may be what it, she was It using. may be the same thing. Yeah. So they would retire to their room for the night. And they would lay down, rest. 
And in the middle of their slumber in their sleep, a trap door would open and they would fall through to spikes below. For those that survived, Mr. Fisher would just finish them off by hand. At that point, the gang of thieves that they were with would just, you know, take all the valuable things off the lifeless body. And law enforcement, they, they had suspicions of things like this going on, but they really couldn't prove anything and they didn't have any evidence. So there wasn't much they could do. Now, let's go back to Stephen LaCroix. You remember him when I was talking about him with the cow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He got mad, went down, and gathered some more people in town. And they got mad enough that they got a little militia. And they headed to the Five Mile House. The Five Mile House was, what do you think the Five House was? Probably about five miles away. Yeah, five miles right outside okay. of Charleston. Okay. So they, <laughs> it was said that, you know, there was a lot of gambling and swindling at this establishment because a lot of people would go to play poker and lose all of their money somehow you know mm-hmm. i guess they were setting up the cards or what have you and they didn't like that and they believed that these were the same people that were the highway robbers so mm-hmm. they wanted to go and get rid of them they armed themselves with guns and decided to take their take the law into their own hands under lynch law now lynch law from my understanding was a group or a mob of people that were trying to handle the law in their own hands could handle it any way that they wanted to because there was a group of people and, the, you know, the wheels of justice turned really slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the speed up the wheels of justice, you know, the vigilante thing was cool back in the 1800s. You know, and they used this a lot on other people, but that's not in this case. <laughs> okay. On February 16th, 1819, a very well-armed militia reached the five-mile house and demanded that the group get out. They refused. So the mob set fire to the house. And after they all ran out, the whole place burnt down. You know, and if you are any part of history, you know about history. Everything back then was made of wood. So yeah. you set fire to it. It's, it's going down. down. Yeah, it's all coming <laughs> down. Yeah. So, you know, and, and doing this, they... They had their adrenaline pumping. They were ready to go like, yeah, we did it. We burnt down the house. <laughs> so they headed straight to the six-mile house after they burnt down the five-mile house. Oh, gosh. Okay. So when they get to the six-mile house, um, they said, hey, you got 15 minutes to vacate the premises? Are we sitting this place on fire? Oh. Everybody in the six-mile house complied, you know, because they probably heard all the commotion at the five-mile house and smelled smoke in there. And it was like, yeah, these <laughs> folks It was real. only a mile away, so they probably <laughs> right. saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, they real. So, okay, let's go ahead and get out of here. So, they all left. The t- they all came out of the house that was in there. There's about six people in there. They told them, get gone. Don't come back around here no more. Mm-hmm. So, they left. And they left one man, David Ross, to watch over the property while they went back to Charleston. And, you know, bragged about how they handled their business and got rid of all these people at the six-mile house and mm-hmm. the five-mile house. And... It was even written in the paper on that Saturday, February 20th, 1819, that they were successful in their endeavors and got rid of the highway robbers, as they say. Oh, okay. (laughs) Got rid of them. Yeah. Now, let's go back to uh, David Ross, who was left at the Six Mile House by himself. I'm pretty sure he had a gun or a firearm or something, and, you know, 
I guess he was okay or he felt okay. But they didn't do anything to these people at the six mile house, but tell them to go away. And then they left to go six miles away to Charleston. Wait, so they didn't burn down the, the, the house? No, they didn't burn down the house. They just told them they to They just get told them to get out and left uh, David to okay. watch over the house. Okay, okay. And a few days later, as he said, we're at the Six Mile House. Mr. Ross was attacked by a gentleman named Hawthorne. And there was another guy with him, but they don't really know his name. Now, Hawthorne beat uh, Mr. Ross down and threw him out of the house and demanded that he leave so they could retrieve their things. Mr. Ross put up a fight, I guess. And this is when John and Lavinia come back into play. Mm -hmm. Mr. Ross is getting his behind kicked at this moment, and he looks up and he sees the pretty Miss Lavinia Mm -hmm. Fisher. (laughs) So he says, lady, please, lady, please help me, help me, help me, get these men off me, please. (laughs) No, you know. Lavinia is a pretty young lady. She walks over there and strangles him. Puts both men around his neck and starts choking them, slamming up against doors and stuff. Oh, gosh. But somehow, he gets away. He gets away and runs back to Charleston. As he's running, he can hear people yelling behind him, You damn infernal rascal. If I catch you, I'm going to give you a hundred lashes. Oh, gosh. They called him an infernal rascal. I guess that's like son of a bitch, you know, now, but they call him infernal rascal. So, okay. Okay. A few hours later that same day, there was a gentleman named John Peoples. He pulled up to the six mile end traveling from Atlanta. He is kind of tired and he wanted to find a place to stay. Now, due to the commotion of the day earlier, they just told him, no, nah, we don't got no rooms here. But being the southern charmer that she is Lavinia said hey why don't you just come on in I'll make you some dinner get you a nice little plate you can relax and rest from your trip from Atlanta mm-hmm. so he does they go in and go get something to eat don't and trust her. Don't yeah, trust her. you know they're <laughs> talking you know and you know but people's is a lot smarter than all the other people because he's like huh why is she asking me all these questions and then then he's looking over and he keeps seeing John looking at him kind of weird. He's like, these people are real nice with, I don't know, something, something ain't right. So they go, they eat dinner. She's continuing asking him questions. He's continuing answering questions. And then I guess John gave it a nod. She went to make some tea. Uh-oh. Thing is, Mr. Peoples is not a tea drinker. He doesn't really like tea. Good for him. But being, you know, don't want to be an ungrateful guest in somebody's house. Instead of just letting the tea sit or not drinking the tea, he poured it out when they weren't looking. So, just so happened, a room opened up. Isn't that a coincidence? Oh, wow. Now he gets a room. So, he goes up to the room, but he like, nah, I don't trust these people. Yeah. I don't trust these people. So, he slept in a chair that night instead of the bed. So while he was sleeping in the middle of the night, he heard a big bang, big boom, big commotion. He looks over. There's a hole where the bed was supposed to be. So he runs, jumps out the window, gets on his horse, and heads to Charleston. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Inform the police. The bed just falls through a hole? <laughs> yeah. It falls through a hole on some spikes. Oh. <gasps> yeah. Mm-hmm. What? Yep. I wonder if all the rooms were like that or if they just had a kill room. 
Yeah, it, it, from from my understanding, I think it was just a kill room. They just had oh, a place where they could no. just be like, "Yeah, let's get them out." Oh no! That's why they that's why they talked to him because that's the room they was gonna put him in. So, Don't sleep in the bed. <laughs> Don't sleep in the bed. Right now, the police had two witnesses and two affidavits. They could go up and get them folks at the Six Mile House. Mm-hmm. So Sheriff Nathaniel Green Clary gathered a party of men because back then you know the police force was basically the sheriff maybe a deputy you know Mm -hmm. they didn't really have a lot of people so he gathered some more people and they headed up to the six mile inn because they just knew there was going to be a fight they surrounded the place with the guns out and they said you know come out with your hands up (laughs) and it did no shots fired they just came out it's been said that uh John didn't want to put his wife in danger, so that's why he just gave up. He really didn't want to, you know, leave his wife out there like that. So, they arrested John and Lavinia Fisher, James McElroe, Seth Young, and Jane Howard. They all were taken into custody and put in the city jail located on Magazine Street in Charleston, South Carolina. Some of the sheriff's men stayed back behind and, you know, through the property, trying to find the dead bodies of all these people that had been coming up missing at that end. But they didn't come across bodies per se, but they did come across a freshly slaughtered, slaughtered cow. And they definitely knew it was the cross cow, oh, the cow that, that was stolen earlier. Yep. And, you know, they kept searching the ground. They found... They did find buried bodies, but that they really couldn't tie that to them because during that time, many people buried their dead on the property. So they can't, they, that could have been their mama, could've that could have anybody. been their aunt, that could have been anybody. So that really wasn't something that they could go on. After they searched everything in true 1800 fashion, you know what they did? Burnt it down. Well. Burnt it to the ground. Well, <clears throat> no more hotels. <laughs> right. Now. While John and Lavinia were in jail, they were held without bond. They didn't have a bail. They couldn't get out. But everyone else that they arrested did get bail and got out. So while they were they were in jail in the same cell, this is eighteen. Like all of the oh yeah, because you know back then yeah. it was just it's eighteen hundred big cell. Yeah. yeah, they was in jail in the same cell. So they devised a plan to escape. So they they tied some uh, of the bedding together. They tied the bedding together and, you know, put it all together and um, tried to make a rope so they could climb out and go, get out of the, get gone. So they made the rope, hung it out the window. John goes first. He goes out. The rope breaks while he's trying to get out. Oh, God. So he could get out, but Lavinia is stuck, is stuck in, the, in the jail and he, he couldn't leave his wife. So he was recaptured and... Put in a more secure location in the jail. Now, my question is, would Lavinia have done that for him? Nope. I doubt it. No. You know, no. You'll find out by her in a minute. (laughs) Okay. The fishes appealed. The fishes appeared before the Constitution Constitutional Court on January seventeenth, eighteen twenty. They were never charged with murder. But they were convicted of highway robbery, which at the time was a capital offense and condemned to hang on Friday, February 4th, 1820. 
Lavinia quickly objected in court and stated that she was a married woman and law at that time said that you could not hang a married woman. Mm. So she had a good point. And the judge said, yeah, I thought about that law. And after I've read it, all I got to do is hang your husband first, which will make you a widow. And then <laughs> I can hang you. So it's all good. I was about to say, why is that a law? Yeah. I mean, I guess. I don't know. So that, that, uh, the crazy thing is, though, they were being hung for a crime that they never were convicted of because they were convicted of the robbery against David Ross, but they're being hung for the robbery of John Peoples, which they never were convicted of. And there was a conspiracy behind that because they're being hung for something that they didn't do, basically. Well, they're just work. mad because they couldn't <clears throat> find the bodies or they couldn't pin the bodies on them. That, that's so they I was think. like, oh, we're going to do something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. You know what I'm saying? The governor at the time started receiving a lot of pleas from the fishers along with local clergy and respectable citizens that they needed more time to get right with God. You know, we are in the Bible, Bible belt of the country. So, you know, they needed time to get right with God before they got killed. So, and uh, the governor granted this request. And so he moved the execution date from the 4th to February 18th at 2 o'clock. Lavinia just knew in those two weeks that the, the governor would never kill a woman and she would be set free and it, it'll be all over for her. Mm-hmm. During this time, there was a reverend that they sent to the jail to talk to them, you know, to help them get right with God. Reverend Richard Furman. He was a significant figure in the Baptist community in Charleston. And he was definitely ready to prepare them for their afterlives. John was welcome to this. He was like, yeah, I do I do need to get right with God. I, I believe this this will help me. Lavinia, on the other hand, was like, she didn't want to hear none of that. <laughs> she was too busy trying to claim she was innocent and that, you know, she shouldn't be hung for this crime. And she just knew the governor would never hang a woman. February 18th rolls around. The two were picked up and taken to the gallows where they were to be hung. There was a crowd of about 2,000 people that gathered to watch the hanging. That's crazy. 2,000 people wanted to go see somebody die. Yeah, I, I never understood that. Why people yeah. would gather to watch somebody get hung or decapitated or whatever. It's crazy. But John, was, you know, he was executed first due to law. He walked up with his head held high and professed that he was now a Christian and should be saved from this hanging because he's seen the wrong in his ways and he should be given an opportunity to get it right. That didn't work. Trapdoor went down. He went down with it. Now, let's move on to Lavinia. She wasn't walking up there. She was kicking and screaming and, and punching and moving. And so they had to carry her up to the gallows. You know what I'm saying? And she's kicking and screaming and screaming and kicking. And she she just did not want to be hung. And and she, now, hold up. I didn't tell you this. You know what she wore to be hung? What? She wore her wedding dress to be hung. Oh, God. She wore her wedding dress in hopes that people would, you know, feel sorry for her, that she was a bride, or that one of the people that were hanging her would be like, oh, she is so beautiful, and marry her on the spot and save her from being hung. Because she's single now. Yeah. (laughs) That didn't work. Now, now, let's get to her last words. These are the last words of Lavinia. 
If you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me and I will carry it. Oh, God. Then she jumped from the gallows before the, the executioner could even do his job. And they both were buried on Potter's Field near the city, the city jail. Now, that conspiracy I was telling you about. Many say that the Fishers were killed because the government wanted the property that the Six Mile Hotel sat on. Mm. And, you know, now looking at it, it's hard to dispute that. Because you know what sits on that property right now? What? The uh, Naval Hospital of Charleston. Hmm. A government facility. Now that's funny. Hmm. Yeah. But that, my friends, is the story of the Fishers and the alleged first female serial killer in the United States. Crazy ride. But um, I want to thank you for taking the time out. And listening to the show, what did you think about the story, Kim? I thought it was pretty good. That was that. That sounded like a movie. Right, exactly. They, Hollywood couldn't have wrote that. No, not at all. <laughs> but thank you for listening, and till next time. See you. See you.